Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Ski Instructor Podcast. My name is Dave Burrows and I'm the director and owner of Snow Pro Ski School based here in Valdilia in Switzerland. Hope you're all well. I see blue sky uh, briefly uh, because it's been raining and snowing here for about three weeks straight. My cat is going bananas. It's like it's just prowling around the house completely pissed off because it can't go outside and it loves to be outside. Um, so any opportunity it gets where it's actually not raining, it just um, it heads outside, kills something, uh, as if like in protest. And we've had like a bunch of birds and mice and all sorts of stuff in the house in the last few weeks. But it looks like the weather has finally broken with this kind of mega storm that we had last night. It sort of feels like it was the tail end of that that period of terrible weather that's come through here. And um, yeah, it's left all the mountaintops white. Uh, it's snowing. I went up my trials bike the other day, all the way up to snow on the ground at about 1,400 meters around here, which is pretty cool. Um, up at Glacier 3000, I went skiing up there last week. Conditions are absolutely fabulous up there, and I'm hoping to get up there again either tomorrow or next week uh, once all the high winds and stuff have finally cleared off and uh, get some turns going. Um, so yeah, all, all going well and it's looking good for the winter. It's also going a bit cold next week as well, which I think will help um, help a lot of a lot of things. So here I am uh, with two things. Uh, one, last episode was the one that took us past 100,000 downloads of this um, podcast series. Um, I am eternally grateful for anyone who's ever taken the time to to have a listen of it and I and I really really appreciate um everyone who has and i still can't really believe that there's so many people that 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 would be interested to listen to kind of my ramblings and 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 the super interesting stuff that my my guests have got to say um so thank you for that if you've ever taken the time to listen really really appreciate it um like i say i'm just trying to leave something here behind which is useful for people and those people that are maybe coming up you know into the ski industry um trying to find all this information that it took me so long to find out um and maybe we can help people to have a bit of a shortcut and and pass on all this amazing knowledge that people have um that they've been so kind to uh, to share with me um this week episode 59 i've got a, a really really interesting interview i've just listened back to it and i didn't really skip it like i normally do during the ep- editing process it was so interesting i'd kind of listened to the whole thing straight through it's with um it's with john eames and john was the um the Basie, uh telemark director um and also ran his own company which was called the off piece and telemark ski company um he's kind of winding down his his kind of interest in skiing now um not interest in skiing as such but you know business interests and stuff um but we've got here just a, like a really really interesting interview covering so much ground you know his his uh background and and all of the amazing stories that he has to tell going back um in 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 time and also this this episode is is quite telemark centric so you you would have noticed i've been banging on about this for ages i recorded this in may and and i wanted to get you know just like one solid episode where we could talk about this and it's and it's done so there's a lot of telemark chat in this one if that's not for you fine but um but i really really enjoyed making it and there's a lot of kind of crossover telemark alpine chat in there which is probably going to be really interesting um uh, for the, those of you that are curious uh, about it. Um, 
so enjoy that don't have much else to report i've got some other um sort of long-standing uh interviews already in the bag that i've got enough here to take me through at least to to, to may which is great because this winter's looking really really busy um and i'm not sure how much time i'm going to have to interview people so um lots coming up lots of really interesting interviews with lots of really really interesting people and um yeah, without further ado, uh, let's get on with episode 59 with uh, with John Eames. Enjoy. John, welcome to the, the, the Ski Instructor Podcast. Um, you're based there in North Wales, right, did you say? Yes, uh, um, we, we live near Carnarvon in North Wales, um, so quite nicely up in the hills, so we get a fantastic view. I mean, at the moment I'm looking out over the RSE and Anglesey, wow. um, and we've got the mountains just behind us, so... It's, it's a lovely environment, but the only problem with North Wales is that the skiing is uh, limited. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw, I'm sure I saw on social media uh, this year that there was there was a couple of bold bold souls. Oh who, yeah, who yeah. To I mean, occasionally. I mean, the best time recently was January before last, the the COVID winter. Right. And we had some really good snow, literally up the back. Uh, on, on our first hills, yeah, and we were able to to go up, you know, tour up and ski down entirely legally. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, no problems about travel and all this sort of thing. And we had some really nice conditions with uh, you know skiing up on the mountain behind with views over the RSE. Um, yeah, it was great. Sounds yeah, uh, rare. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds idyllic. You know, it sounds kind of almost Norwegian. Well, it it, it, it is almost, but. The number of days that you could compare to a typical winter in Norway, on average, is probably about one. Yeah, okay, I can see that. <laughs> if you're lucky. Have, have you always yeah. lived there, or, or is this... Uh, like, well, we've, we've lived in North Wales since 2001, I think, and then we, we were living in West Yorkshire, around Haworth. Okay. And, and before that, I was, I, I was, I was travelling around a lot. I was working out in Scotland a lot, um, with outdoor education and uh, being being involved in skiing as well, mm-hmm. you know, Nordic and telemark skiing, as it was at the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's yeah. Over my sort of skiing career, it's, it's mainly Scotland, the Yorkshire, and up here, but obviously working abroad as well. Well, dude, someone might some some might say that that Scottish and Northern English skiing is real skiing. Yeah. Oh. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, like uh, when all of us are hiding in the uh, in the cafe, all the, yeah. all the Scots are. Oh, it, uh, it, it breeds, it breeds a, a, a tough skiing character, I suppose. But, I mean, I've had days in Cairngorms, which have been absolutely shite. Yes. But, uh, there's been days when I've been skiing in Scotland or touring in Scotland when it's oh, just brilliant, you know, absolutely yeah, the, the best, the best day you could hope for. Yeah, some of the some of the images out of I can't remember his name. Um, Blair Aitken's group, the the Scottish Backcountry oh, yeah. uh, yeah. Facebook group. Yeah. Some of the images that are of that are just absolutely extraordinary. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's 
that's what we used to get, you know, um, sort of between mid-November and mid-May. Yeah. Um, when I was living in Scotland, you could normally do something, even if it was only in a patch of snow. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, as the winters do uh, vary, you know. They're, oh, for sure. They vary a lot, yeah. Yeah. But if, you're living, if you're living up there, you can grab a chance, you know, it's uh, brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So so what was your your sort of journey to becoming involved in, in snow sports? How did you, where did you start and how did you, what was the... <laughs> Oh, tell dear. me, tell me the journey. Oh, gosh, how, how much time have we got? <laughs> We've got as long as you want. <laughs> um, I, I, I can give a sort of a fairly potted version, and uh, if we need to know more, I can, <laughs> I can add, uh, you know, embellish, as it were. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, for, for me, you know, my mum my and dad, they, they were very much into the hills and walking, all the rest of it, so I, I just had a natural. Uh, you know, love to be up in the hills and the mountains, but for me, snow was something that always fascinated me and attracted me. I mean, that's why I have just no idea, but it did. Mm-hmm. And I, I just felt I wanted to ski, you know, I just knew I'd enjoy it. But my mum and dad, they weren't so keen and it was all too expensive and all this sort of thing. Uh-huh. But eventually, I, I was, uh, I think it was between jobs, yes, quite yeah. a while ago. And I thought, right, well, I'll go up to Edinburgh and I'll get some work up there and learn how to ski, which is what I did, basically. So I had three months, sort of February, March, April, um, uh, up in Edinburgh working at uh, the youth hostel there. Mm-hmm. And just hired kit, went up in Cairngorm, looked at people, listened in from a distance. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, I, I did my first skiing, um, and that was uh, that was on Alpine kit um, mm-hmm. because at the time it didn't, you know, I was ignorant of anything different. Yeah. But the, the guy who ran the, the youth hostel, uh, who's uh, by the name of Cameron McNeish, I don't know if he's, he's quite into outdoor uh, magazines and media and stuff um, in the past. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he said, you know, somebody with your interest, because I was really into walking and uh, uh, climbing, you know, alpine climbing, all, all sorts. Mm. He said, well, you want to go uh, Nordic skiing? So I said, oh, okay. So he lent me a pair of Nordic skis and I went off with a friend of his, I think, and did some Nordic skiing in, in the Smey Valley. And so that seemed pretty cool as well. Mm. Um, uh, so I had sort of two, two really quite strong interests. Um, and then moving on from there, I mean, after that, I was working... Uh, back down south for a, a few years, but then uh, I went to Bangor University, just up here, and did a postgraduate certificate in education. Okay. Uh, and where you can specialise in outdoor activities, which was brilliant. Um, and so the, the skiing started to develop a bit more during that year. And then after that, I got to work up in Scotland in outdoor education centres where they were actually teaching alpine and Nordic skiing. So this this is coming back a bit. This is in the eighties, right? Um, I'm not young. <laughs> uh, so this is in the nineteen eighties, uh, and where I was working, they, they, they taught alpine and uh, and Nordic skiing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really good winter zone. And about that time, uh, Telemark, which uh, had been sort of had a, a rebirth in North America, yeah. because obviously the, the Norwegians 
discovered it or developed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of renaissance in, in telemark was coming back to Europe. So with friends up in Scotland, we thought, okay, let's, let's try that. I mean, we were skiing on Nordic metal-edged equipment in, in the, in the Cairngorms and going everywhere. Uh, and, and the total state of ignorance, you know, wearing uh, Nordic cambered skis, um, you know, about 50 mil wide, 55 mil wide, yeah. 10 mil side cut, uh, leather boots of laces, you know, that sort of stuff. And we were, we were doing the four tops of the Cairngorms, we were skiing on, on the west coast around Glencoe and, you know, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting down using sort of snow plows and wedgie parallels and less wedgie parallels and this sort of thing. Yeah. So we thought, well, let's try this telemark. So we, we started teaching ourselves to telemark uh, and sort of thought, oh, that's, that's quite fun as well. <laughs> so we, we started doing more and more of that. And then uh, in 1988, I think it was, uh, I gave up where I was working and went up to more and worked for uh, a setup called what it was, it was then Highland Guides. Okay. And they, they were specialists in Nordic and Telemark, as it was. So they did loads of stuff up there, um, very, very committed. Um, so I worked for them for, for three winters and ran, ran the ski school mm-hmm. for the last couple of winters. But that, that from then and going onwards, you know, Telemark was in the ascendancy. Um, you know, through through the nineties and into the into the noughties. Mm-hmm. So it was at that time, after I'd done three winters up in Abbeymore, uh with uh, Bonnie, my partner, who's um, who we've been working with ever since. Yeah. We, we decided to set up an own and be based down in Yorkshire because at that point the Scottish winters went quite bad for a while, mm-hmm. and we started running trips abroad. So uh, we were running to to Norway initially with the, the sort of Nordic focus, yeah, um, but offering Telemark as well. And then the, the Telemark thing was growing and growing. And we got some good contacts in, in the arts, and in particular in uh, Latville, and okay. right. and started running trips there. Uh, and so the, you know, the, the professional side of what I was doing um, really started in the, in the early 90s and ran up until... Ooh, present day ish. We're trying to do less and, and retire, but I mean, I sort of enjoy the skiing so much. I still like to go. I was going to say, it's uh, tough when people keep knocking on your door wanting to, uh, wanting to do stuff. Well, we've got some very loyal clients, so we're, we're running trips now to areas where we can still run trips since Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and, that too. Uh, <laughs> And with, with, if you like, these are, are almost like friends. So it's, it's great to go out and run some of these trips in some quite uh, esoteric places like uh, Macedonia and Kosovo and Greece and yeah. Arctic Norway and places like that, where you know, with the the Brexit thing, we, we don't we don't have any issues. <laughs> no, of course, because so, so, so to, to drill down on that, just a, if we're just going to tangent on that, so that yeah, presumably yeah. you cannot. Is there some? There are rules on on you not being able to bring groups over and teach in places like France, Italy, various others since Brexit. Is that well? Right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure you must be uh, aware of that. You know, people. You know, Bayesian instructors working in the arts. So, I mean, as as uh, I think I fully understand it, there's an easy need to be there. 
uh, a resident of the country, mm. um, get the work permits. You also have a car pro, of course, if you're in, in the French areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, for us, this this does this does impossible. You know, because we've we've never decided to base ourselves in one place. There's never been enough clients to do that. Yeah. But the clients are that we do have do like to go to different places. So, you know, being able to, to move, say, around, you know, Europe, in effect, um, and take our clients to different locations, uh, whether it's for touring or, or skills courses or whatever, mm. that has, has worked for us. So we've not sort of rocked up in Air and stayed there for the last 20 years. And if we were still there, we would have residency and all the rest of it, and we'd still be able to operate. Mm. Um, so having a sort of a peripatetic uh, business model. Yeah, <laughs> that's the right way to say. Uh huh. Um, we uh, we we are, we're in a position where you know it's it's not it's not um, it, it wouldn't work. It, it might work, but somebody would find out and then it wouldn't work and be very expensive. One know, of one the way or another, I'm sure. Yeah, one of the things I've noticed in life though is that sometimes from adversity in that way. Yeah. you know positive situations come out of it, it would, would, is it, be, is it, would it be fair to say that since you aren't able to go to the sort of classic places anymore you've started to discover some some more interesting places you were talking about oh sure you know, I, mean, I mean hardly but we were we were running uh, to some of these other places anyway because because uh, they were interesting and you know, really, really good fun to go to. You know, it's part of partly the the travel experience and the cultural experience to to say go skiing in Greece. Mm. Um, and there's some pretty good skiing there. Some really, really nice skiing. Mm. You know, as long as you're you're not into uh, resort based skiing where you just want to do miles and miles and miles on the beast. Yeah. But if you if you want to go if you're interested in going somewhere with a, a small ski area, so you've got something to do with the weather is is bad. Uh, which has got good access to off-piste, um, you know, off the lifts or with a, a short skin, or mm. access to, to touring terrain, then, you know, some of, the, some of these areas uh, down the Balkans, um, uh, you know, Arctic, Norway, Iceland, places like that, uh, it's, it's, it's just wonderful. You know, there's, the, the whole experience is, uh, is just so good. Um, but uh, um, if people want to go to the Alps, that's, that's fine, as long as they don't come to my places too often. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, but no. it's, it's it's also nice to get these places quite quiet as well, and you can you, you can really uh, uh, relax and, and enjoy the, the hospitality, you know, the culture, the food, the wine in these places, which is mm. just always uh, just, just absolutely wonderful. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But certainly, the, the Brexit issue has uh, pushed us even more in that direction for sure. Okay, but presumably the people that are into that kind of thing, yeah, you know are interested in exploring that kind of, you know, they're not going to want to go and do a week in Val d'Isere doing off-piste, right? Like, that's it's pretty... <laughs> exactly. I mean, so. it's a bit of a mixture. I mean, when we were running stuff in the Alps, you know, you know we, I don't know, had a week in Andermatt or whatever, just doing off-piste and day tours and stuff. I mean, those people are, would also say, I don't know, do something a little bit more exotic, like come to Greece or... Uh, you know, Georgia, even you know, to the Caucasus Mountains. There, mm. um, it, it was it was partly the the, the art piece experience, if you like, but the sort of input that we can give, which is telemark specific, of course. Mm. And 
and you know their own desire to go somewhere different and travel and uh, you know have a, have a good travel experience along with their skiing. It is. It, it, I think the travel element is is very important. I think when you run, I don't know. I mean, I'm running a ski school, so I tend to get trapped in the same sort of places. Yeah. It's very difficult to kind of get out, get out and go somewhere new. But some of my best days yeah. this last season, just gone, were just short day trips that I took to other places. You know, I had okay. a day, and I was like, right now, I really instead of going to the office or instead of you know, looking at this big pile of paperwork that I've got to do, I'm going to go somewhere else. I went yeah. to uh, went to a place called Champex Lac, uh, Champex Lac, right. in uh, just you know around the corner from me. Never uh-huh. been there before. It's only got twenty k's of peace, but the views are extraordinary. I went up one of the most yeah. amazing chairlifts I've been up for ages. Really steep, and I was just like, got to the top, deserted cafe, got my telemaskies, <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm having a great, great time. And if I and if I'd left it five minutes or you know stepped into my office I would never have gone yeah. and I think part of you know once you've it's one of the I think the paradoxes of doing skiing for a living is that you very often just end up skiing the same slopes over and over and over and you don't get out yeah. very often to other places I mean that's I mean that's if you like another reason why we, we didn't even think of trying just to stay in one resort and run a business from wherever it might be, mm. um, because there's just so much out there, and um, you know, exactly like saying we've we've made the opportunity and also provided the opportunity to our customers to to, to visit. You know, even in the Alps, there's certainly like you're saying, there's so many of these small resorts which just give a, a wonderful experience. You know, away from the crowds. Um, Mm. Yeah, whether the crowds are keen to go up or the crowds are on the piece coming down mm. um, it, it, uh, and you know, find some nice terrain on tracked off pieces as well yeah. I mean because you know, especially these days it's harder and harder to find because everybody's seeing it um, but to, to go to some of these small places uh, is, is, is one way of, of, of finding that uh, you know, the better snowball I think is wrong yeah absolutely and so well, you set that up and then how did your sort of journey within snow sports carry on from there, um, well, uh, when you say my journey within snow sports, uh, I suppose what I'm trying to do general, is, or, yeah, I suppose or, I'm trying to take you from, um, you know, a guy who decided that he was doing outdoors in the Cairngorms yeah. to, you know, eventually what basically telemark trainer director, yeah, like at, where where did when did you start getting involved in in the tuition? Well, um, I, mean, I mean, the tuition so started when I was working at the outdoor centres up in Scotland because mm. where I was working, you were teaching kids skiing anyway. Yeah. Um, so the the, the Basie journey, if you like, that certainly started around then because the the the, the principal of the centre required us to to get you know qualified as it was then. Mm-hmm. Which was fine. So we never got qualified in, in at a, at the lowest levels in Alpine and in Nordic skiing. Um, but once uh, once I had my three sort of winters in Scotland, and then started working with one of my partner, and you know, with our own setup, mm. the, the, the sort of but the basic thing grew and grew because we, we needed. Um, we need qualifications which are more appropriate for what we're doing mm-hmm. um, and what we're doing abroad and this sort of thing um, and the uh, so 
you know, went up up the upper levels, you know, with, with Nordic. Um Tanamark um didn't exist as a discipline, you know, back in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. But because Telemark was developing so strongly as a I suppose you could say as, as a, a specialist activity within Nordic skiing or within freehill skiing in the broadest sense. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the practitioners, certainly up in Scotland, were thinking, well, uh, the, the Nordic approach, the pure Nordic approach, um, isn't really working for uh, modern telemarking as it were developing because we were um, using heavier boots, we were using alpine skis by then with you know with the tele- telebindings that were available at the time. Yeah. We were focusing our activity in the ski area. Um, so if you like it was a, a an alpine type of skiing but on creative equipment, uh, which was you know quite different from uh, skiing on lightweight Nordic equipment uh, through the woods. Yes. Uh, and and of, of that style. Hmm. So it was a bit of um, discussion with Basie then, you know, eventually Basie Telemark was set up in 1994, uh, and the discipline, as, as we know now, um, was, was from that time. Uh, you know, once Telemark developed in its, uh, uh, in its modern guise, um, uh, you know, as, as something which is, which is, you know, different from, obviously from Alpine, obviously from Snow, but, but in particular from, from Nordic, as it was historically. In my, in so, my limited experience, sorry. sorry, in in my limited experience of cross country skiing, yeah, um, it doesn't apart from a, you know a slight freedom of the the, the heel and where the, the binding is fixed to the ski. Yeah, there isn't much crossover between Telemark and, and Nordic. I would say is there. Um, you have to be careful what you speak to. Well, yeah, okay. I mean, like I said, my uh, opinion I mean, is my opinion, but it, it, it strikes me... I mean, strikes me over, if you like, if, if I was to... Well, I mean, not so much now, but I mean, I used to... When Bonnie and I were working in Norway, for example, you know, we'd go out for a, the clients, okay, we're, we're, we're doing a, a Nordic day, we're, we're going up these tracks, we'll, we go up high, mm. um, um, you know, quite high up in the mountain on, on the tracks, and... We were, at the end of the day, we can ski down through the resort back to where we're staying. Okay. So, using that Nordic equipment, we were skiing um, down, you know, blue and red piece back back to the village. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, on on pure, I, I use the word sort of pure Nordic, pure Nordic equipment or pure cross country equipment. Mm. On that, you can do everything. But you um, wouldn't necessarily want to. But, but you may not necessarily want to. Or <laughs> or you might think, actually, you know, to ski down uh, a blue run even, you know, back into the village on on cross country track equipment, yeah. well, that's a good challenge, let's give it a go. Yeah. And you true. can ski down parallel, you can ski down telemark, it's just harder. <laughs> yes. You, know, it's, you can do exactly the same movements and have the same focuses, you know edge, pressure, rotation, and this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But because you're on a ski which is quite narrow, um, it has very little side cut or, or zero side cut on, yeah. and also has, a, also has a Nordic camber, which makes it very stiff in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you just have to uh, 
work the ski an awful lot more, be, be, be more precise with your body measurement, etc. And, and you can do it, but it's, you know, not many people choose to do it because it, it is quite difficult. But what, what I'm saying is, um, for, you know, the, Nord, the Nordic skiing um, discipline, the Nordic discipline, the cross-country discipline, as basic you now call it, mm. uh, you, you can do everything, but the focus is certainly on paddling as opposed to skiing down hills. Mm. So the, if you like, the, the, the link is still there, the historical link is there, and we could say, well, it's all free hill skiing, um, and we're just using different equipment depending on what sort of a day we want. Mm. So I might go and know what equipment to ski on the tracks in the valley. The next day I might use heavyweight telemark equipment to ski the bumps in the resort or whatever it might be. Yes. Um, but the, the the free heel, if you like, is the is, is the one thing that is always there with those two disciplines and obviously different to any other discipline. Yeah, so and there, there, there is a link. And is that why they were sort of nested together historically? With oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Um, and then, as I was saying, that's why the, um, you know, from the point of view of uh, ski instruction and activity areas, etc., you know, 1994, we decided, well, actually, it really needs to be a separate discipline mm. because it really can't handle both of these to the required level in the amount of time that we, mm. we have and with the amount of interest that there would be for somebody to, to do the whole caboodle, if you like. So people tend to be qualified in Nordic skiing or tend to be qualified in Telemark. Mm. Some people are dual qualified, but they have gone through, you know, both, you know, both uh, lines of uh, courses, you know, both lines of yeah. uh, qualification. As, as you are, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my Nordic qualification was, is at the top level, my telemark qualification is at the top level. Mm-hmm. Um, my half and qualification is not quite at the top level. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. The, so, so, so you went up and up within Bayesley, you finished off the qualifications, and, and yeah. then presumably you went forward to some sort of trainer selection in both. Yeah, well, they. Um, I was originally more qualified in, in, in Nordic um, and was actually Nordic director and a, a Nordic trainer um, back in the 90s, early 90s. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, Telemark developed, I, I was a part of it, there was a group of about a dozen of us who set up Bayesian Telemark. And from that initial formative group, um, roughly half of us. I mean, we all qualified ourselves <laughs> as, yeah. as being telemarket instructors because we could and we sort of had to. And yeah. from that no group, about half of us, um, we, we decided that, well, you know, someone's going to run these early courses. So mm. some of us started training the, the, the early courses. Uh, and then subsequent to that, um, as new trainers came into the system, you know, as, you know some fell by the wayside and you know, new people wanted to, to train in telemark, then, then there was a more rigorous approach um, you know, following on from that. Um, so I've, I've always stayed very much involved with basic telemark. So the, the first telemark manual um, I put together, so that was back in the 
late 90s, I think it was, or somewhere around then. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been two or three incarnations of that since. So the latest one, um, which uh, is 2017, I think. Yeah. So that was quite a sort of uh, uh, a team job and getting together. But the, the last incarnation, I thought I could put, put it together and put the final touches on. So I've been, been involved with Base Telemark um, well, since the start, so it's 1994. Yeah. And, uh, I think I have the. I think I have. Sorry, the, sorry I think I have the second iteration of the Basic Telemark Manual, Maybe. which was given to me by. Oh, I don't. It's around here somewhere. I'm looking at my desk over here. It's in that big pile of paperwork over there, so I can't come okay. to it right now. But, but Joe, Joe Beer, yeah, Joe Beer gave it to me on my Basic Telemark One. Um, the first one was like a A5 size. Yeah, this one is an A5 size. It's blue on the cover, I think. Blue and something. I can't. Oh, I could find it. Oh, is it an A5? Oh, I'm not sure. Five or maybe even A6. There's a sort of a, a ring binder to it. Yes. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Look at this. It's right there. This is a real big, uh, big interlude for the listener. So this. Uh, British Telemarker, British Telemark Instructor Handbook, version 1.0. Uh, is, it, is it covered in a bit of plastic? Yeah, it is covered in a bit of plastic. It's got a ring binder and the cover is blue. And there's a, uh, a photo on the front of two guys telemarking. Uh, it's got a photo of the Matterhorn and uh, something. Ah, second edition. Ah, second edition. So I'm a second uh, edition guy. <laughs> and I was I remember distinctly speaking to Joe about this because Joe was sort of saying to me, Well, you know, we've done this, but we're not hundred percent sure that the cent like the central theme as such yes. is correct. Yeah, I mean all that is has developed over the years, which is absolutely fine, you know, that's mm. that's an important part of the evolution of something which we now feel works quite well. Yeah. And, and also the, the manual itself has changed from something being rather all-inclusive to being something which works alongside the manual, you know, the main Bayesian manual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's loads and loads of generic stuff which we don't need to re- reprint and, um, you know, in terms of resources and reading and everything else. Yeah. All the te- teaching stuff we can refer across. All the... Um, the Alpine stuff, which is a very much a part of what we teach as well, you yeah. can refer across as well. So there's no point in sort of repeating all that, except to have a few notes to say if you're doing uh, a snowplow turn on three hill skis, you just need to focus a bit more on this, that, and the other. Yeah. But the, 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 the tech, you know, all that side of the technique is the same. So the, the current manual is quite a, a, a brief one, but succinct and appropriate, i.e. it deals with everything from a parallel turn onwards. Mm. Um, um, So it's how you progress uh, into your early telemarks and develop your telemarks. Mm. And rather than having a single single central theme, we we go four ways. Um, We have a choice, (laughs) different different ways of uh, 
developing your, your telemark or introducing a telemark and then coming back together mm. with, um, you know, at the early stages, medium radius telemarks on a, on a blue slope. And then, then from there you can develop into the strands, you know, very much you, as you do on Alpine. Mm. Mm. It's interesting. I might, might go back through this and, um, or maybe I did try and pick up a later version of this. And Well, the, the simplest thing is probably to go to the Bayes EU website and you can, you can, you can get the latest version um, online. Oh, right, okay. Uh, because what you've got there in your hand has changed an awful lot. Yeah, um, well, that, and this was what I remember discussing with Joe because I, yeah. I remember because I've had Joe on this podcast before, and he was saying to me that well, there's two things. There's one I was going to come to you. I'm just going to talk to you about this later, but we're here now. We might as well talk about it. Yeah, sure. One of them was the the, the Telemark Central theme progression that's in this book. And obviously, yeah. now I'm working from old information. Was in the discussion that we had was that we're not actually 100% sure that the plough is that relevant to the telemark lead change necessarily. Because... I mean, you could say it's not. It's um, not really, is it? Because your weight is more 50-50 distributed in a, in a telemark turn, whereas you're looking in a, in a, in a snowplough turn to be, to be... It's like the... the the beginner slopes, for want of a better word, of trying to get your weight over the outside ski. Yeah. Whereas we're using the inside ski a lot more in a telemark turn, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, as a rough guide, 52, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that can vary, but there's yeah. certainly, I mean, I mean, what you're saying there is, 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 is entirely correct. Um, but to give you some context to why we have these four different approaches, you know, a plow to telemark being one of them, mm. And we also have parallel to telemark, um, what we call a fan progression, which sort of, um, again, I can explain all of them, and, and also what we call tally worms. Mm. Um, so when when we were starting out in, in Scotland, and we sort of have decided to keep on to this, is, is offering, if you like, different pathways for an instructor or an aspirant instructor. You know, so they actually have a choice of approaches which they can mix and match. So that's that's the idea. Mm. You don't necessarily have to only do that to telemark approach because, as you're saying, it may not be appropriate mm. or you may not have the, the the clients who can handle it or the terrain or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, if you had some strong alpine skiers, you could say do a, a, a parallel to telemark approach um, and, that, and they don't have to worry about the plow at all. But for other clients who are, I don't know, uh, less familiar in the, you know, less experienced in the downhill skiing mm. and who are a bit tentative of going through the fall line, um, you know, to have uh, something which they feel comfortable with so they can control their speed, uh, sorry, control their speed um, mm. at, in a more comfortable way for them yeah. than to have uh, a plow to telemark is not a bad idea. But having said that, it, it does require some significant adjustments and just like you're saying, just how you stand on the skis and how you weight the skis and mm. obviously how you manoeuvre the skis from a, a plow into a telemark position is quite a complex manoeuvre to make sure that you're 
the movements are accurate, but also that the way you're aging the skis is accurate as you go from, from a plow to a telemark. And that's, if you, if you like, it is quite complex, but it, it, if you like, it does have its place. So, you know, to give aspiring instructors the option, well, you, you can do this if you want, and this is how you do it. Mm. But if you don't want to do that because you've got some strong clients, then you use one of the other approaches. Yes. Because uh, I think that's, isn't that the, the, I mean, it strikes me that this is the thing about trying to teach telemark is yeah. that the, the, the people that come to you are fairly unlikely to be complete beginners at skiing yes. and sliding around yeah. on snow, right? They're, I mean, they're more likely yeah, to I mean, be strong alpine I mean, skiers trying something new. Sorry, Dave, I was, I was interrupting you. No, I mean, no, no, do worry. Just to pick up on that point, uh, over the last 30-plus uh, years, I'm just trying to think if we've had a raw beginner off the street coming to do telemark skiing. Yeah, it's probably and, none, isn't I'm, it? I'm, I'm thinking rapidly, and I can't think of one. No. Uh, but what I can say is that we've had a, quite a range of people from, say, a, a Nordic background, mm. Alpine background, and also snowboard, who, who want to do telemark. Yeah. Um, and because you have such a range of um, experiences, if you like, um, in terms of sliding on snow, but also a range of experiences of perhaps uh, you know, the client's comfortable or familiar skiing environment, and, you know, perhaps comparing a strong alpine skier to a, a cross-country skier who's more used to skiing in the woods or you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. to, to have a, a range of approaches which you can adapt, adjust, uh, uh, mix and match sort of thing, all this, this, you know, this range of, of, of clients that we get or have had in the past, mm. it, it has proved quite useful. Um, and, you know, a very you know, fantastic challenge for, you know, for us. <laughs> you know, you know how, how can we make it work for, for this person because, um, you know, because of their background? And so one, one of the, the things you know, that we have with the base telemark system now, the, the telemark progressions, as they're called, rather than a telemark central theme because we don't have that central theme. Mm. We, we do the alpine central theme and then we diversify once we telemark just to put it into context. Okay. So, um, you know, so, so historically, one of the things that we've had, say, just to generalize, um, Nordic skiers have come to us, they've done some touring, they've been touring in Scotland or they've been hot up touring in Norway, you know, where you do have to go downhills. Um, mm. sometimes, and some of the downhills can be quite long, the snow can be quite icy, you get occasional steep bits, so they've come to us and they said, well, we want to develop our telemark. Yeah. So we say, great. Um, and you take them out on a green run or a blue one in the Alps, and <laughs> you realise that they they don't, they're not uh, fully knowledgeable and experience of actually sliding down a hill on a pair of skis. Yeah. Um, so that, 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 that can be a challenge. Um, so typically, you take them up a, you know, the easiest slope, obviously, in the first day, and you know, let's see what you can do, sort of thing. Mm. And they travel everywhere in an, an hour of snowplow, um, because that was their default. 
Yeah, that's when, what works, when right? Were, when yeah. they were skiing. Mm-hmm. And that narrow snowplow, that suddenly had a slight sort of mock need look to it as well. Yeah. So you're going everywhere on your inside edges. So for some people, with a bit of negotiation and explanation, we said, well, we can't teach you telemark just yet. We need to teach you how to slide and be and get some basic alpine techniques first, which yes. will provide all you know, a whole range of new skill sets and as well as techniques for your next journey in Norway, for example. Mm-hmm. And normally, sometimes they were resistant, but normally they would understand that. So at the end of a week, they'll be skiing, you know, they're on alpine style equipment with telemark bindings. Just let me add, because that makes it a lot easier. Mm. By the end of the week, they'll be skiing a blue run or an easy red run, you know, linking nice parallels, um, comfortable with going slower, going faster, varying the rhythm and all the rest of it. And they've had a really great time. Um, and we said, okay, now you've got these skills, you know, now we can make it more complex and add in the telemark, because telemark is more complex, there's no denying it, mm-hmm. it's more complex physically and mentally. Yeah. Um, rather than trying to do something complex and you just haven't got the, the understanding of you know, your ski design, you know, how a ski works mm-hmm. and how you uh, maneuver the ski to make it do what you want to do. Mm. So, so that that was that was always quite an interesting process. Whereas um, with just to go just to try and balance the picture a bit, you know, with alpine skiers coming typically, you know, they would have a lot more confidence in um, skiing and they yes. want to do free heel equipment. And once they've got used to not having a heel binding to help them stand up as it were, mm-hmm. um, they they would ski around quite nicely. But once they started to make that telemark shape and start to make telemark turns because they were so, you know, with, with a, I say, a typical or traditional alpine background, they'd always be skiing on the outside ski. Yes. Which, which is the lead ski in telemark as well. Mm. Uh, the, the rear ski would be unweighted and, you know, they would go into a spin or fall over. Mm. So the big challenge with skis with that background was getting to be, you know, to ski on two skis, you know, be two-footed in their skiing, you know, two-footed with the edge pressure rotation control and all the rest of it. Once you got through that, then, yeah, well, you know, you know we, we, we have some good times, yeah. I think that's quite an interesting thing, isn't it? Because the, the, the immediate thing that anyone who is non-telemark says to you is, oh, you know, they always say the same thing, so isn't it, isn't that tough on your legs or something, a variation of that, that phrase, yeah. you know, doesn't it burn your fires? And I'm like, well... Uh, a little bit, yeah. but actually, if you're doing it right, I mean, it's not like because it's two footed, so you're kind of spread. <laughs> I think you're spreading the effort between two feet more so than on alpine, um, sort of. But to be honest, um, as a committed long time, <laughs> I'm not sure, uh, there are situations where I will choose to parallel ski. Hmm. Um, and one of those if, is if I'm knackered, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. If at, at the end of a long day, for whatever reason, whether it's touring or off-piece or skiing, or peace skiing or whatever, hmm. um, if the snow gets a little bit 
steep or challenging or I'm just feeling knackered, mm-hmm. I will uh, I will parallel ski down and I'll be able to ski down you know safely and under control mm-hmm. and you know without sort of challenging my muscles. Yeah. So uh, I, I think there is a difference. Uh, I mean, the, the big the big challenge if you like is one to tell about skiing is to make it as efficient as possible and as less energy demanding as possible. Uh, and, and then you know, then we're talking about you know refining skills and in, in all sorts of ways, yeah. and we can make it a lot less uh, you know demanding from the from the physical point of point of view. Yeah, but yeah. if you put, if you to put them side by side, ultimately uh, my legs will hurt more <laughs> after a day of the mark scheme. Yes, I, I wonder if some of that comes from people that have tried it and have been kind of trying to do it, like you said, sort of from more of an alpine perspective where they're all their weight is on the front leg. And yeah. so you can see the people um, that are doing that and they do look like they're doing a series of very hard lunges down the hill, which doesn't look like fun at all. It's yeah, not, there. you know, that, sorry. that, sorry, that could be where that, that myth comes from, right? It, it could be. Um, and certainly if you're doing that and you're trying to ski the slits that you used to ski when you're an alpine kid, um, you're going to be wrecked you know, by the end of the morning. Yeah. Um, so it was in that situation, I mean, certainly with our own clients, you know, we go back to, you know, we go back to the basics really and, you know, rebuild skills on pre-heel equipment. Um, uh, you know, from an alpine skier, you know, we'll just take the skiing for half a day. Yeah. Um, you know, especially if that's the first day on, on free gear equipment, mm. uh, and not even mention telemark, because once once they're confident on uh, free gear equipment, um, and you know, as we do that, we'll be adding in that two footedness. You know, making sure the weight's more evenly distributed. You know, between the inner and outer ski, uh, refining the flex extension, you know, the posture, because you have to be very accurate with your center over your over your feet you know you can't you can't sort of lean on your heels or lean on your cuffs because you fall over yeah um so a lot of alpine skiers getting getting used to that which is something which nordic skiers are used to anyway so that's that's where they they have some strengths that they bring with them but for, for alpine skiers who are perhaps very used to Skiing very forward on their shins, um, you know they try doing the same on telemark skis, and they'll be on their faces in no time, mm. and they'll be very upset, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and and embarrassed, but they get over it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, sorry. So tangent complete for for now. Yeah. <laughs> the um, well, so so. You were so you said to me that you had qualified as a as a trainer for Nordic. Then I'm presuming did, did, and Telemark followed that. Yeah. And um, and then you were sort of more laterally involved with Basie from a, 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 a Telemark director point of view and Nordic director, right? Well, yeah. I mean, the Nordic trainer and directorship. I mean, I, if you like, I dropped those quite a long time ago because. For, for us, you know, with our own business, Telemark was growing so strongly. Mm. Uh, I, I didn't have the, the time and the energy to to devote to 
you know, Nordic training and the Nordic directorship. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, um, you know, just focus on telemark. I mean, we still go Nordic skiing, we still love it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, just a wonderful activity for all sorts of reasons. Um, but, you know, professionally, if you like, uh, telemark was the, was the, the, the thing for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, we certainly were then Daisy, uh, you know, telemark. You know, I'm obviously I have been uh, very involved in that for quite a long time. Okay. Um, so I'm going to jump into um, a little bit more Telemark specific. Sure. But in terms of the evolution of Telemark over time, I think if you yeah. pop on YouTube and you look at some of the videos from the 80s and 90s that are still up there, and then you yeah. see the evolution of how it's gone to the modern day. Yeah. How do you see that? Both from a, do you think that's driven by the equipment changes that have happened, or do you think that that is just because it's become more popular, or it's a stylistic thing? Like, what? what where do you? Yeah. You saw the rise, the initial rise of it, and then I'd say almost yeah. we're experiencing. I don't know whether. The, I don't know, the, the 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 whole phrase telemark is dead is is still a thing, but I certainly see more and more, and it seems to be having a sort of another renaissance now. Primarily, yeah. I'm guessing just, through you know, our from, who from our perspective, you know, over the last uh, gosh, uh, forty years, mm-hmm. or so over forty years. I mean. I think I did my first telemark turn in February 1982 mm-hmm. uh, on Cass. <laughs> since <laughs> since then, um, the numbers grew, in particular in the 90s, uh, and it, it grew and grew. I can come back to maybe the reasons why and back to your original question, you know, oh, sure. yeah. customer-driven or equipment-driven, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But then once we got into the noughties, uh, and up until the present time, it has it has plateaued. I mean, compared to, to, to the rise back in the nineties, um, when our sort of our client numbers, you know, year after year, were going up by ten or fifteen percent every year, mm. and certainly, you know, the discussions with boot manufacturers and everybody, they said, oh yeah, that was a time when sales already grew. Uh, but since I don't know, uh, you know, this millennium, I'm just talking quite generally. Mm. Um, things things have plateaued. So, for instance, the interest in Bayesian courses have diminished. You know, to go you know, compared to sort of ten or fifteen years ago, mm-hmm. and, and certainly uh, in, in talking to equipment manufacturers, they they agree. You know, they. There just isn't that great increase that we had back in the in the nineteen nineties, uh, and there, you know, there, there are reasons for that which I can go into now or later. Yeah, please do, please do. Um, or maybe it just work historically first of all. Mm. Just to go back to the start of your question, um, and yeah, what I said originally, which was you know the North Americans picked up and telemark because they were really into the back, backcountry skiing, the Rockies, and this sort of thing. Mm. And, and they were looking for 
something to facilitate what they were doing, you know, in quite big mountain terrain. Yeah. So they, they picked up on the, the old photographs and descriptions of telemarketing and uh, there was that initial renaissance. That yeah. renaissance came back to Europe. Um, <laughs> the Norwegians were, uh, I think, a, a little bit uh, myth. Well, myth is perhaps not quite the right word, but they did produce a, a book in the late 1980s, which was called Telemark, Norway's Gift to the World. Mm-hmm. Um, which it was, it was a lovely book, but it, it was just making the point of being that you know, well, an after attack telemark came from Norway, which is entirely true. Yeah, um, not, not, not a big deal. Um, but anyway, yeah, once it came back to to Europe, it was growing strongly in, in North America. Uh, people realised, well, we need we need better skis. We we, need, we we can't do it in Nordic skis. We 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 need an alpine ski. We need a, a, a boot that we can control the edges better, you know, stiffer, so that we've got you know, stronger edge control, mm-hmm. stronger support. So in the, the early 90s, uh, I mean, people were putting telemark bindings onto alpine skis, you know, straight away. Mm. That made, made a lot of sense. And people started developing the boots to make them higher, stiffer, and there were some weird sort of leather plastic combinations uh, because the big thing is to, to maintain the, the flex in the forefoot. Uh, so initially, it was a leather boot but with a great big plastic cuff mm. that was hinged at the ankle so that you got the, the lower leg and ankle support to help your edge control, but you still had a really nice um, flexor you know, in, in the leather forefoot yeah. so, you could, so you could work your tellies nicely. Mm. And then the plastic telemark, um, you know, with, with bellows or similar, that appeared, started in the early 90s. And obviously that's the style of boot or the type of boot that we still use today. Mm. Um, you know, but certainly then, I think at the start, uh, the, the growth in numbers was, was to do the activity they and then because people were doing that activity on steeper slopes, harder snow, yeah. they needed to they needed better equipment. So the, the you know the develop the equipment developed to match that demand. And once that better development sorry, once that better equipment had developed, then alpine skiers were would were found it more attractive or more, you know, more they found it easier to do because they're on a on an alpine ski, they're in a plastic boot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of familiarity in the equipment, um, so the growth from alpine skiers was quite significant, um, and you know a few snowboarders as well thrown in for, for good measure. Um, mm. And so, so latterly, or I say latterly, I don't know, uh, people. People are drawn to, to telemark. I don't know for a number of reasons. It's, I mean, for me, uh, just to perhaps help answer the question. Mm. For me, having a free heel, whether it's um, Nordic equipment or telemark, you know, modern tele- telemark equipment, yeah, just gives me so much. Um, uh, adaptability, if you like, 
if, you know, if there's one word we're just going to cover it, yeah. you know, one pair of skis, I, I can do all sorts with it. Mm. You, know, you know, if I'm getting around on the flat, but I haven't got a, a heel to worry about. Yeah. To, you know, getting up with, you know, getting fed up with skiing in the ski area and, right, well, let's put the skins on and find find a nice tour and find some like off-piste or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's all, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the equipment that allows or gives me the greatest freedom to enjoy myself in the mountains in winter, if you like, as a, a general statement. Um, yeah, occasionally I go back onto Alpine equipment and occasionally I'm using, you know, AT equipment with some of our groups. Um, and it's all right. <laughs> but, you know, but the fact that you, you're shuffling everywhere and you have to flick switches and things to start going uphill and all the rest of it, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's fine. You know, I have a good day. I can get some fantastic runs down and this sort of thing. But it's just, um, it's all just a bit cumbersome um, or a little bit more limiting. Uh, whereas on my tele equipment, uh, that sort of sense of freedom, um, you know, the, the oft quoted free your heel, free your, free your mind and stuff, yeah. which um, it is another discussion, but I'll leave that for a moment. <laughs> but if, 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 I mean, there is some truth. It, it gives me a, a lot of freedom and a lot of people who I ski with uh, feel the same. Uh, and it's something that, in terms of technique, it gives me the choice. So I can do anything that most people do on alpine skis, but I can telemark as well. And the feeling, the sensation of linking telemark turns down a slope of powder snow or good spring snow or something. Mm. Uh, you know, <laughs> those those days uh, they, you know, the, the memories linger. You know, you can look back on, on days now uh, that, that run, I remember that run. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and that, that just sticks with you. And so it, building those types of memories for me is um, I, I get a lot of really good memories as well as the experience in the moment, of course, mm. um, because I'm on on the, on the equipment I choose to use. With um, you mentioned something earlier just then, um, putting aside the issue of like freedom of um, the freedom of choice that the equipment gives you. Yeah. We've also talked about freedom of movement, and that's something that I've been reflecting on. I've been telling you quite a lot this season. And, um, and, <laughs> and uh, I prefer it, to be honest with you, these days, because whenever I go back into an alpine boot, I feel really limited by, in the movements that my body can make, just through the stiffness yeah. of that boot. You know, that it hasn't yeah, got sure, flexible sure. snow, it hasn't got uh, the sole, it hasn't got the, the bellows, it hasn't got the, the movement in the ankle joint that you yeah. can you can pick up through telemark skiing and you open up a whole new range of movement, personal movement within your body, yeah. and a whole different way of expressing yourself on the mountain. Um, uh, we're, um, we're, compared to an alpine um, that's only got a certain amount of forward flex at the ankle joint. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and to guess, um, I suspect that you would have find the, the mental challenge, you know, the, uh, the, the, the if you like, the, the, the challenge of um, 
putting your skills that you know your alpine skills onto telemark skis would be very uh, engaging as well you know um, I mean that's I mean that's what I always find I'm, I'm sort of wondering if, if you find the same yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah I kind of almost find it a completely different um, sport if I'm honest it's um one is getting your head around the possibilities, I think is one of the most interesting things. Yeah, oh yeah. The, the sheer number of different ways that it can be done. I like the fact yeah. that it has less sort of inbuilt rules um, compared to alpine skiing. So there's no real way to, to skin a cat, if you like. Um, with telemark, you see so many different people doing it in different ways. Um, and I think that's because the equip. I think, just reflecting on it right now, is I think that is because the equipment allows people's the difference in people's bodies to really express itself more so than an alpine, where you do get a bit of variation, but essentially everyone's in the same kind of boot. Whereas yeah. you, you, the the differences in people's bodies shows up more if you've got more range of movement. Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand what you're saying, and a lot of people um, say in, in, the, in the telemark world, when having these sorts of discussions, mm. will say something similar. Um, and you know, a lot of the, the sort of the telemark-specific Facebook pages and things, mm. you know, some of the some of the stuff you see in there, you think, mm, okay. <laughs> so, yes, there there is a lot of freedom and a lot of people I mean sort of freedom, yes, in inverted commas. I mean a lot of people are skiing on telemark skis and doing all sorts of um slightly weird looking stuff. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just giving you a, a it's almost like a, a counter perspective yes. if you like on I what hear you just said. Yeah, I hear you. It's yeah. something that uh, um <laughs> concerns me if, if you like. Mm. Because in the end whether you're an alpine skier, a snowboarder, a telemark skier, a Nordic skier, you're on something that is designed to slide and mm -hmm. is designed to turn. Maybe not so much for the pure Nordic stuff, which are not designed to turn at all. Mm. Um, so whether you're on a snowboard, as an example, or a telemark ski, uh, the, the message that you give to the ski is essentially the same. And if you want to ski, uh, I don't know, spring snow, or if you want to ski a good piece or an icy piece, mm -hmm. the, the messages that the performer needs to give to their ski or board yeah. are pretty much the same. So, well, for me, and certainly for, for Daisy Telemark, and I know a lot of other Telemark skiers across Europe, um, the, the focus is then, okay, yes, free your heel, free your mind. You, know, so you, you can be different people can see in different ways. Okay. Um, the next challenge is can everybody, the next challenge is if you want to ski a slope, as efficiently as possible and effectively as possible. So then you, then you have to 
reconcile the skills that you're using. You have to decide, well, if I'm telemarking, it's a, a, a steep slope of hill and snow. Um, what do I need to do? So what I'm suggesting is that in the end, if you want, if you know, a skier wants, on telemark skis, wants to ski a slope, uh, an environment as effectively and as efficiently as possible, mm. then what the telemark skiers are doing, they would tend to reach something which is relatively similar, as opposed to something yeah. which um, is far more diverse between telemark skiers. Does that make sense? It does make sense because yeah, I understand your you know where you're coming from, which is yeah. which is essentially a ski is a ski, right? And if you're if you whether you've got an yeah. alpine or a, yeah. a, 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 exactly. a telly so binding on it, if a ski is going to work, you've got to give it that message. Yeah, you have to put in the the right inputs yeah. for that right situation. If, I think if you're not bothered, if you're not bothered about that ski working especially well, yeah, then you don't you don't have to bother. Oh, so you, know, you, you see some telemark skiers. Yeah. Um, you know, screaming around the slope in a very low, low long stance. Mm. Um, they're, they're having fun, fine. And as long as they don't run into anybody else, that's fine as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I, I guess if I took that type of telemark skier onto a relatively narrow slope of spring snow or something, mm. um, they would be bouncing off the waffles on either side or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you took them into a bump field um, as well, they they hit a bump and take off and land on their heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm generalising, but it's what what I am after, and what certainly what we're after in basic telemark is developing uh, strong, adaptable skiers. Yeah, so they've got the they've got the, the skill set and the understanding that mm-hmm. they can telemark anywhere they choose to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can make the, the changes to you know as appropriate. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. It does make sense. <laughs> uh, it's just I think the, the, the that's a last ah. 30 years. Well, <laughs> I think probably what, what so what I'm trying to say is though is that you have I don't know maybe so so you are putting in the same you need to still have the same inputs because of the equipment oh, that's under your feet. Yeah. But the way the thing like, is, you do have a little bit more freedom of movement in order to be able to get those inputs into you, the snow. You need to be, let's see, you need to be free with your movements, um, but you need to be precise with them at the same time. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, the classic thing between an alpine skier and a telemark skier, um, uh, you know, Classically, an alpine skier is skiing on their outer ski more than on their inner ski. I don't know that changes, but I'm generalizing. Um, and so, if you're turning to, to the right, your right ski isn't really helping the turn very much. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you separate fore and aft, um, then, as, as we've already mentioned, if you're not using your inside ski very much and you're in a telemark position, you, you'll end up on your head. Yes. Um, so then, and this is you know basic tele instruction stuff. Then you need to give the same input, you know, pressure edge rotation to the trailing your inside ski as your leading or outer ski. 
Mm. And once you do that, away you go. Yeah. And, and could it be argued then that you have twice as much as, as of control going into the snow? You, you could do. Um, uh, you, Rather you than, could. say, 90-10 on the outside ski in Alpine. So. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I've just been a bit reluctant to agree 100% because it's something I've never actually tested mm. or looked at in, in a comparative sort of way. Is um, a, but certainly, you say going into the RP, yeah. uh, then Alpine skier needs to be more 50 50 mm. uh, because they are then better balanced, better controlled, you know, especially once you've got a, a third dimension in what you're skiing, you know, once it's the snow is hot underneath you. Mm. Um, so, there's a, you know, with, yeah. sorry, there's, a written, there's a written project in there for someone, isn't there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> pressures, pressures on skis varying between Denmark yeah. and, and Alpine in a given turn. Yeah. Right in 10 pages. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd be interested to read the article. Yeah. If, you, if you're doing that well. written project, anyone send it in to us. We want to know. Yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. And here's a. Uh, okay, so we talked about the modern because the modern bindings are really quite extraordinary, aren't they? I, I ski the NTN Freedom binding because it suits what I do. Um, I'm yeah, not, me too. I'm not. Yeah. In, yeah, I'm not that much into Alpine touring as such. Um, well, I use the Freedom and the Free Ride, so if I'm touring, I use the Free Ride. Yeah, okay. Um, sorry, no. Um, no I, get around it. I always get mixed up. Yeah, I'm using the Free Ride, I think, which is more of a like the, the Free Ride is the the chunkier one. Yeah, like yeah, messing around. Freedom is the, the touring version. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's it. A lot of plastic in it. That's yeah. it. And some of the other ones that I've seen that also, you know, they connect using the, um, oh, what's that called? The two-pin system. Yeah. yeah um, very, very similar to Alpine touring setup. Yeah, a lot of the guys around here use that, and they, they seem to love it. They think it's really, really good. Um, I yeah, quite it is. Yeah. yeah, it does cost a lot more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So right. someone gives me a pair, I'm stuck on NTN at the moment on the free rise. And free rides and freedom. Yeah, <laughs> but the the, the Mejo binding, or in in wild as they're called, called is actually an excellent binding. You know, it's been developed by yeah Mouillard in France, mm-hmm. and the amount of money he's put into it, I don't know where he gets his money from, but he's come up with something which is um, very lightweight. It's now easy to use, mm. um, and yeah, you can ski, and then you can also get a heel piece to convert it into an alpine binding as well, if you want. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of going full circle. But, think, yeah, some of that binding stuff out at the moment is, is, is fantastic, yeah. Have you ever done that with the, the freeride binding? Um, they put a, some sort of alpine heel piece, or not an alpine, or maybe like a uh, touring heel piece in so that you could fix your, your heel if you wanted to. Let's say that you were... Plan is telemark in the afternoon, but you had a beginner alpine lesson in the morning. Uh, have, um, you, have you seen that? Before? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no recommend? I mean, some some people do some weird stuff. The Americans, in particular, they do some really weird stuff with their uh, telly stuff. They're really into sort of home workshop, mm. um, sort of Franken. They call them Franken. Franken binding, yeah, you know, sort of yeah. Frankenstein ideas. But the you know for me just to go back to your your, your last question there mm. to do anything like that um, your chances of breaking a leg are suddenly increased by hundred percent 
Yeah. Um, no way. Uh, but, so, yeah. just for that scenario you, you suggested, you know, quite often I've been working with a mixed group. A lot of our clients are, you know, especially for our piece and touring, mm. there will be a mix of Alpine and Telemarks here. Oh, right. So, if I'm doing a school session, say at the start of the week, um, and I'm parallel skiing, and everybody's parallel skiing, you know, Alpine skiers and Telemarks skiers, yeah. then let's ski parallel. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, all the Alpine skiers, sorry, I mean, and, and, sorry, any freehill skier who goes Alpine skiing, you know, your parallel turning, that's the right, right way to put it, mm. um, you, you have to ski accurately, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, you have to be well-centred, well-flexed, um, and not, not rely on the boot in the same way as you do in Alpine skiers. Yeah, very much so, very much so. I find um, it, it's um, yeah. yeah, I do that often, and it's and it's it's slightly harder on the legs because you can't. My habit when I'm alpine skiing is to really I, I rely a lot on the front of the boot, and, um, and you don't have I that mean, option really. I don't, I don't know if you if you have the same feeling, but when I sometimes when I've been on teddy kit and going to alpine kit, mm. um, when I go onto alpine kit, I feel like I'm skiing like a god. <laughs> uh, because I'm coming from the, the more difficult equipment to the easier equipment, if you like. Yeah. But going the other way from Alpine to Tele, oof, you know, it takes a, a bit of readjustment. I mean, you, you get there quite quickly because I'm used to doing it. But mm. uh, you're then going from the easier equipment, if you like, to the, the more difficult equipment. Yeah. And uh, you just have to remind yourself a few things about, oh, yes, ankles do flex and <laughs> wherever, wherever I've got my arms and. I wouldn't sure I've ever described myself as skiing like a god. It's like no one, literally, no one has ever said that. So, about me. and I've never said that about myself. So, um, there's, there's too many alpine trainer. No, no, absolutely not. There's um, no, and there's too many people around here who do genuinely ski like gods to even you know make that comparison with yourself. So, um, no, no, I'm based in Valdilier, and um, we're in that sort okay. of. In the Port de Soleil, and there's a lot of good skiers around here, but they don't oh, okay. they don't really talk about it. You know, they're just good, and they're yeah, <laughs> just okay. you know a okay. guy. Yeah. You know, the best skier I know around here is just given up skiing, and he's a policeman now, and um, it breaks my heart to see it. But I guess he needs know, he's got a young family, he needs the money to support himself. But the the my goodness, like he's the most you know, and you wouldn't know he's not on social media or anything like that. He's better than anyone I've ever seen. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's guys like yeah. that all over Switzerland, all over the place. As I yeah, am it's, sure it's, it's, it's nice when there are people out there just skiing brilliantly and doing their own thing and enjoying it, and they don't have to justify it to themselves or anybody else by no. putting it on social media. Absolutely. If it didn't if it didn't go on social media, does it really exist though? It didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> I've got interesting, uh, but that's probably a, a, a the podcast, isn't it? Yeah. It sure is, yeah. A bit more hysteric. <laughs> I've got. Um, I've, I realise we've been going a long time. I've got two more questions for you, if you don't mind. Okay. Um, as I understand it, and I'm asking this purely for a selfish point of view, is that the Basie Mark Basie Two hardly ever runs. Is it because of lack of demand? And the second part of that question is, is it, um, why is it two weeks? Because presumably everyone who's on it has already done teaching modules. 
comments uh, there? Ah, uh, yes, but <laughs> all right. So, um, so a bit of context. Yeah. So level, fairly level one. Yeah, they they do quite well because other Bayesian members need a second discipline. Yeah, Some people yeah. choose to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as opposed to snowboard or adaptive or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, then, if you're going to level two and to level three, which is the the issue that you're talking about, you know, whether the course is run and you know, or why not? Mm. There are relatively few people who want to go to the level two and level three because they don't see a, a, a way of um, being financially rewarding. Mm. You know, if they're starting a skiing career um, and they want to do what you're doing in the Alps or work for you or anybody else out there. Um, then obviously alpine backpack or possibly snowboard is is the logical route mm. to be sure of work and, and income. Mm-hmm. Um, the the numbers of people out there who make a living out of telemark is I'm not sure there's enough if, if there's any fingers on the hand to actually count them with. I mean, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's very. It's probably the wrong way of, uh, of using that metaphor. But anyway, mm. you, you get the picture. The number do, of people yeah. only turn up are very, very small. So, I mean, for ourselves, going back, I mean, yes, there was a time when telemark was a thing. But latterly, say, the last 15 years, the, the mix has been with alpine skiers. Mm. We want to do the type of skiing or go to the places that we go to. Mm. Um, we, if we, if we didn't do that, then we would have gone very hungry, basically. Mm. And I, I can't think of anywhere else in Europe, or probably even North America, where anybody can say get a level three telemark and make a living out of it. Mm. So. If, just to go back to the original question, the number of people going to level two and level three, um, I mean, there's obviously more to level two, uh, and then some to level three, mm-hmm. is, has become very small. And it's, and I think that's the main reason. It's, it's not seen as a useful discipline to have yeah. in a ski instructor's career on the whole. Mm-hmm. But there's other people who do do it because they want to do it. You know, they, they love the, the discipline. They they enjoy the process of be, becoming qualified and you know, skiing with like-minded people, yeah. developing their tele, you know their free heel skills, their, their downhill free heel skills, yeah. um, along with the telemark specific stuff. Um, and uh, you know, quite a number of them will teach some telemark in the Alps because they're in a situation where their ski school or their, that they work for or their, their company that they run themselves do, do offer that. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I think really that's it. You know, it's people just don't see it as, uh, as a viable future for themselves mm. on its own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the experience. I I have yeah. spoken to various people who, have, who are telemark specialists and, and there's very few people that it's just not the volume of hours, I don't think. Yeah, exactly. You know, there that the people want to learn, you know, and I think there's a lot of people out there trying to teach themselves. 
Um, or, you know, they pick it up from Alpine, so they don't really take lessons as such. And so it's, yeah, uh, yeah it's a real... I mean, as it's I a shame. mentioned before, I mean, the, the way that we made it more worthwhile was by moving around mm. um, and sort of using that as a way to attract people or attract the same people to come on another week or whatever mm. was by, you know, offering one resort and then later in the season, um, you know, somewhere else and they think, oh, let's go there as well and, you know, do some day touring as well or whatever. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, from, from season to season. Yeah. You know, if they, they'd done Luckfield one year and then they come and, you know, did a, a week in Switzerland or wherever, mm. it's, it just helps to, to, to draw them in. Yeah, it kind of, yeah, you sort of package it up with something else, right? And that would be the way to yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, the last thing that I was wanting to ask you was just to loop back, actually. Sorry, oh. Dave, just to go back to the, the level yeah. two thing. I mean, what, what Daisy had been quite a bit about, Natalie, is actually putting level twos and level threes together now. Ah. So a, a course can run. So... The last, uh, I was trying to think, the last couple of years, uh, a, a combined level two and level three mm. has, has has run. It's, it, I mean, I've run some mixed levels in the past, I and mean, they're a little bit more challenging. Yeah. If, depending, I mean, a, a, you know, an experienced trainer should be able to cope, mm. um, and then it's, it's you, you may have to divide people at, at some points or whatever, but the, the actual challenges, the slopes, the terrain, etc., are the same, but the level that, they, that the skier performs at will need to differ, of course. Mm. Um, but in terms of making these courses run, that, that, has, that has been a, a, a good way of working. Um, oh, and the other thing, because he did ask about why two weeks rather than one week, mm. Um, yes, because people have obviously come in from, uh, say, Alpine, and they've done the teaching. But the, the difference is that any, so yes, generic teaching, tick, uh, telemark teaching, um, that's, that's the area that, that can be trained and developed and uh, you know, ultimately assessed in that two-week period. Mm. So it's the, it's the specifics of teaching you know, the technical specifics, if you like, of teaching telemark, which uh, are, uh, you know, demand at that time, if you like. Okay, I understand. Okay, so it's not like you can just teach, therefore, you know... You can teach telemark. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can, you could you could go out there and teach something, but I think your customer might be dissatisfied at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, yeah, you can teach I, something very well. That's right. Yeah. I, I was I was thinking more in terms of like revisiting things like teaching styles or teaching, you know. Yeah, I mean, most, I mean, certainly in the, the level twos I've done, for an example, that that is referred to and uh, understanding and experience is assumed. Mm. It, it is. I mean, I, I would check it as people do their teaching sessions, mm. and it could become an issue. Um, and there's, there's been once or twice when people have come through and I've said to them, oh, so sorry, 
But, yeah, uh, it's, it's just not working, and it's uh, there might be quite good teaching talent market as well. But for some reason, their generic teaching skills have fallen by the wayside, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, you, you sort of assume that they're, they're okay with their generic teaching, and it allows us to focus on you know, how to teach telemark in particular. Okay, which which is which is great. Yeah. Cool. I tell you what, I'm going to. Um... I'm going to leave my last question for another time or another chat because I suspect it'll add on another 20 minutes or so and I don't want to keep there's, there's a certain kind of length of time that works really really well for interviews and I don't want to I don't want to kind of exceed that too much um, well, we can I mean, you could give me the question and if I say it needs a long answer then I could let you know alright well let's, yes let's no, go with it no it was, it, I tell you what it was then it was just to expand on the telemark progressions that we talked ah. about earlier yeah okay is now what do we think is this long to get involved in or short to get involved in well what i was i mean there's different ways i mean what i was starting to say earlier on was 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 why we have them and the context of them hmm. um, and i if you like I could, I could finish that answer because I touched on cloud to telemark and parallel to telemark. Well, I mean, the, if if you've the, got the, the time to, then let's let's do it. Well, that, I mean, that won't, that won't take very long. Okay. So, you know, going back to 1994. How can we teach this stuff that we we're going to decide that we can teach? Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things, I mean, just using Scottish context when sometimes you'd be on a patch of snow on the side of Cairngorm or around in Corian sector or something, is how, how can you teach um, turning on a patch of snow the size of a tennis court or something like that? Mm. So the, the, the fan progression, which used to be a part of the easy alpine stuff way back, um, you know, just for teaching parallel turns, um, for, for us, well, that, that seemed like a valid way of starting to develop the skill set needed to make a telemark turn um, on, on a small patch of snow, but literally walking up the side and, and doing sequence, sequence traverses, which end in a you know, gentle turn, you know, sharper turn, and so on and so on, mm-hmm. um, until you can traverse and cross the ball line and make your first C-shaped turn. So that approach in in a situation of limited snow or limited terrain or maybe possibly even limited space in in an alpine resort, you know, um, was, we felt, valid. Um, So the plan progression has persisted. And I I do use that approach on occasion mixed in with other things. because obviously once you do a single turn, you very quickly want to be able to do two, three, 20, 30 turns, mm-hmm. and then you, you need the space. But as a way of just sort of um, skiing in some useful skills at an early stage, I mean, I find it works quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then, then, you, then you change what you do. Um, so that, that's the time progression. The, 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 the Teddy Worms concept, um, I'm sort of assuming that you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that a yes? <laughs> uh, go on. I think you're well. You have to assume no knowledge. I I, I know what you're talking about, but but yeah, okay. maybe no one, other, well, no one else does. I mean, originally it was it was thinking of well, can there be sort of 
a direct way into making Telebach turns. You're assuming you've got a, a, a parallel sphere. Um, you know, maybe we can sort of have a system that starts at the top of the slope and by the bottom of the slope, you're making telemark terms. Mm -hmm. um, so the it, it, it does work and it can work whenever, and I, I demonstrate it and get people to do it, obviously on, on basic courses. Um, the choice of terrain is critical um, because it has to be really, really flat. Um, yeah, not, not dead flat, <laughs> mm -hmm. but so that your uh, your initial shush or glide is, is going to be at a pace when you can start doing things with it. Mm -hmm. Because obviously if you're going straight down the blue slope, um, it's just too steep. Because you know once you start your lead change movement and once you start to add in some rotation or a little bit of edge to start to make some you know basic turn shapes which you can then fill out and develop and make more rounded. Uh, you need to be getting at a, a travelling speed which is very slow and your lead change rhythm needs to be quite slow as well because uh, there's no point in starting a lead change rhythm you know, boom, 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 boom yeah. because if it's at that tempo and then you're starting to turn it's just too fast. Yeah. So you, you, you get the picture. Yeah. So getting everything set up is really important and to be honest, it's not an approach I use very often, um, and more perhaps as a activity in developing skills, which might be two-footed rotation through a lead change or subtle edge changes and things like that, mm. rather than introducing telemark itself. Uh, but it's it's still there. It's it's you know thought of as. You know, we, we, we agreed, okay, well, let's just leave it. It, it, can, it can work. Mm. Um, it is also very, very useful, like I say, at, at a later stage with a more advanced telemarker, mm. you know, for, for the reasons I just mentioned. Um, the plan to telemark, I mean, we, we talked about a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and, and interestingly, I mean, having travelled around Europe a lot and been with my telemarks here in some countries, and in Norway in particular, um, as I understand, or certainly understood, a plough to a telemark traverse, you know, linking turns down the slope, so that you're ploughing, telemark traversing, ploughing, telemark tra traversing, mm. is is a is the way of introducing the, the telemark. Oh, yeah. So, you know, oh, yeah. Okay. So that you're going through the four line in a familiar plough, you reach uh, a good traversing speed, comfortable with it, it's, you're not going to accelerate, um, you can sink into your telly, do a nice telly, traverse and say, you know, I'm a dude, yeah. um, stand up, plough around and do the same the other way. And then you diminish the amount of time that you're in the plough. Yeah. Um, and, and, I mean, it, it does work fine. Uh, and it, it works probably better with people who are used to doing an accurate snow plough. Um, you know, which is, um, and that they are able to adjust the edge on both skis so that as you go from the plough to a telemark, in effect, you're inside 
you're going from the inside edge of your inside ski to the outside edge of your inside ski as you can go around to the Telemark, mm. which, you know, which for some people is quite complex. But if people have that skill, then that works fine. And then parallel to Telemark is, yeah, I find that works very well. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a good way to actually be skiing, you know, if you're skiing along quite happily and then very much as a part of your day, well, let's let that in. You know, we're all skiing well. Uh, you know, okay, let's have a little bit of mark in between each turn. Mm. Um, and back into your parallel to make your turn. You know, round you go, feel happy, back to the four line. Okay, tell you again. So it's a very similar approach to the planet of mark, but probably more appropriate and more um, fun, if you like, more enjoyable to the majority of people. Um, so... You know, just to go again, just to go back to what I was saying earlier on, mm. we, there's there's a choice, uh, um, a, a framework for aspirant instructors, uh, and as as I do, and I know many other study uh, trainers when they're out working doing their own stuff, it's actually mixing some of those um, to to produce you know big paramount turns, which is you know the the end of the process. So yeah. it's a bit of background, anyway, to, to, to why and, uh, and the how of the telemarketers progressions. What do you the, see when, when, when if I may ask, what, what do you see when you're teaching telemark? What Where's the common thing, if there is any commonality between, you know, if you see things that come up again and again, what what might they be when you're teaching telemark? Is it is it the unfamiliarity with having a split stance and how to control that because that activates a whole bunch of muscles that people don't usually use I'm guessing yeah I mean generally speaking for, for anybody um, effectively working both speeds in your telemark in the turn and, and also the, the other I mean one, the thing I sort of talk about quite a lot with, with, with our own clients is um, it's not so much the turn itself, which is the challenge, it's the lead change, you know, from one turn to the next. Mm. So if you like, anybody can be in telestance and they'll make a, a, C, a C shape in the turn. Mm. But linking effectively, uh, you know, in a strong, functional, adaptable way to the next turn, you know, the lead change, mm. that's, that's the real challenge. Yeah. So if, if you like, okay, one part will be working both skis, in particular working with the rear ski effectively. Mm. The next part is is linking one tele turn to the next. So typically you see people say doing a tele turn or stand up and there'll be what we call a parallel pause. Yeah. So that should be in an alpine position for um, a couple of microseconds or whatever mm-hmm. and then sink down into a tele again yeah but what we're after is a, a flowing continuous movement from one turn to the next yes. flowing and continuous in that the the change in the lead ski is done um you know without, without a pause and with appropriate change of edge and pressure as, as you're doing that mm-hmm. and, and that's that's a real challenge and certainly you know, with level two skiers, they can be a bit flummoxed by that sometimes because they sort of think they're, they're linking tellies, which, which they are, 
well, then then we did we asked for a, a this smooth simultaneous lead change rather than anything which is sequential mm. uh, and or possibly even stemmy as well. You know, a bit like uh, you know the lead parallel scheme. Which yeah. Again, and to keep the skis parallel right through the whole process. Mm. Um, yeah. I think those are probably the two, the two areas. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what separates, you know, newish telemark skiers from from those that have really been doing it a long time is the the skill in which you blend the leads change with the edge yeah. change and timing, yeah. slow yeah, angle, you know, lead, lead change. I mean, especially once you get into the in, in, in strands, um, the lead change, say, in bump skiing on steeps, is mm. is critical. And yes. if, if that lead change isn't efficient in the bumps, you'll be on your head. Yes. And likewise on the steep. Mm. Um, it's, you know, the moguls are a superb discipline for good lead changing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come out and do it. Yeah, tell me about it. Again, it's the, the challenge, the intellectual challenge of, you know, of, of the telebar. Uh, as as you get into more demanding terrain, it, it keeps you going for years. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it is that. It's just that added added complexity, isn't it, of lead change yeah. at the moment at which you go through the transition. You blend that in with rotation and and or everything else. It's just it's another thing to be thinking about. Yeah, and when you get when you get it right, you, you know it. it yes. It's, yeah, it's yeah absolutely. You feel it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's true. Good. Well, that's a well, that's a perfect line to end it on. I think. Um, I want everyone who comes on this gets a chance to, to, to sort of plug themselves and what they're doing, assuming that you will want more customers for the business that you run. If not, feel free to tell them not to call you. But if, if, <laughs> people, yeah, if people needed to find you, where, where... I mean, what, what, what I would say, um, yeah. because uh, I was sort of alluding it to it earlier on, I mean, our business as, as such, you know, the, the Up East and Telemark Ski Company, mm originally the Telemark Ski Company, we're, we are winding it down. Our, our website is, um, what's the word, dormant. Uh, okay, so right, <laughs> do say, not yeah. call this man but, if you want to go on holiday. Uh, but you, anybody is welcome to contact me <laughs> and uh, see what we can do. Because, yeah, this, this guy has been in touch, you know, a fancy drink from Telemark over the chill factory. I said, oh, great, let's, let's fix up a, a date or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Okay. Uh, uh, that sort of thing. Or, so is, um, so is that where they be, could get in touch with you, or, or is there a better place? Oh, no, just get in contact with me direct on. Um, um, well, there's, there's still a Facebook page with a, an email link there. Okay. So, so I'll um, find that, and good. then I'll uh, I'll leave that in the but, in the. In the th- but, I mean, just leave it like that because because there'd be problems with other people then. Okay. Like the, the tax man and. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's so. Um, so, but what I would what I would perhaps encourage people to do, if you know, in particular thinking of Asian members, if they're, <laughs> if, you know, yeah, give it a go. You know, it is it, it is. It is so demanding in a good way. You know, it's it's absolutely it's interesting, uh, and it's, it's it's great for your skiing anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's many. Uh, I think even the British uh, Development Squad and 
uh, I know the Austrian you know, ski racers, they do telemark mm. um, because it, it's, 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 it's critical to be in the right place on the skis. Yeah, um, yeah. And that, that goes from, you know, the flattest green slope to um, the Hallen Carmel or whatever, you know. Mm. And so it, it is, uh, it's a really useful discipline to do. I mean, as a, as a secondary discipline, it's great. Um, but, you know, to take on a little bit further as well, um, and, you know, for anybody who's really into the skiing, it really has a, a, a new dimension to their to their skiing, but also their recreational skiing, and uh, probably a little bit like you've been saying yourself, Dave, you mm. know, there's something else to go and do. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, I, I, think I, I, I think I'll probably just leave it there, really. Perfect. All right, well, look, um, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to speak to me today. I, I really, really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah.